I'm Caroline, a yoga teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hi, I'm Dr. Clara, GP with a special interest in menopause based in North London. Together, we are the Menopause Sisters and we are here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. We are very, very um, honoured and very excited to welcome Dr. Ben Esdale to the Menopause Sister Show today. Um, Dr. Ben is a consultant dermatologist and the clinical lead for dermatology at the Whittington Hospital in London. And he also trained at Imperial College where he obtained his degree in biochemistry. So he's got lots of special interests and undertook his dermatological training in Oxford. And we are delighted to have him here today to give us some advice and have a general chat about skin conditions and particularly how the skin is affected potentially during the perimenopause and menopause. So welcome, Ben. Good evening, guys. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. So, Ben, we... What we really wanted to focus on today was just a little bit about how um, and what you see in clinic and what what perhaps women might present with in clinic during the time of the perimenopause and menopause. And if there's anything specifically that you have noticed a trend in and what you're treating. Well, um, I think it's it's a really interesting area because I think the menopause of the skin has has, um, become such a big issue um, over the last sort of 10, 15 years as we understand more. And I think, you know, early on, I think the sort of training in dermatology wasn't great in terms of how powerful estrogen is on the skin. Um, and so what we're seeing is we see loads of uh, hormone-related conditions. So we see um, a lot of acne, uh, a lot of rosacea, a lot of dry skin, um, ageing. Um, so, so we realise the power of estrogen on, on skin ageing. So we get a lot of people um, who've got ageing concerns, um, hair loss, we see a, a whole range of, of conditions um, appearing in the clinic, so quite a lot. And it's actually this estrogen deficiency can you know, lead to lots of these skin issues and it then adds on to the psychological symptoms many women experience, you know, from low mood and anxiety to depression and it can affect just so much more and create that kind of stress in the body that we, we were wanting to try and reduce through perimenopause and menopause. Um, can you maybe just explain a little bit more about how estrogen affects the skin and how the fluctuation changes skin? Yeah, so uh, there are uh, estrogen receptors in the skin um, and it's a very um, responsive organ um, to, to estrogen. So we know that uh, estrogen receptors are found all through the skin. So, uh, you know, starting um, with with your oil glands for for. Um, for example, so uh, we know that estrogen is very powerful in oil production on the skin. So just simply by being in, a, in an estrogen deficient state, you'll produce less oil. So your sebaceous glands produce less oil. Um, it also has a big impact on the actual integrity of the skin. So your skin from your top being your epidermis, which is the outer layer, and then your, it's, it's good in a podcast to be doing hand signals. Um, <laughs> the, the dermis uh, deeper down, um, also, estrogen plays a big role in the sugar molecules that appear there. So sugar molecules um, in the dermis hold on to water, and so they give sort of the integrity and the sort of bounciness of the skin. And when you lose estrogen there, um, or the estrogen receptors are not stimulated, you lose a lot of hydration. Mm. Uh, and then collagen, so your scaffolding proteins like your collagen, elastin, um, uh, are very estrogen responsive. So, so actually, when you... Uh, in the first five years after you, after your uh, menopause, you'll lose 30% of your collagen um, in your skin. So that's a massive amount of sort of structural proteins that are lost. 
Um, so all this has a huge effect. Um, and then the other sort of complex balance is the sort of seesaw balance between estrogen and testosterone. Um, and that estrogen, sort of that, the relative, uh, you know, it's like a seesaw. So the relative deficiency in estrogen gives you a sort of more, uh, more an effect, even though your testosterone levels are often not too high. Um, it's that balance um, that pushes your skin to do all sorts of different things. There's a lot there, isn't there? There's a lot. There's a lot going on. But um, I often, I often see women who, um, just like you said, Ben, have mentioned either sort of increased facial hair, and then you know thinning of of, of hair on their head. Um, and is it is it about that balance then? Is it is it down to that balance of of estrogen versus testosterone that makes that delicate difference? Yeah, I, I mean, I th think for a lot of things, so, so a lot of uh, um, things are driven by relative uh, increases of, of the androgens or the testosterone. So um, excess hair growth, for, exa uh, for example, um, we see it uh, in other conditions where you get excess um, testosterone. So it's that balance, um, the relative increase of the testosterone causes increased hair growth in unwanted places. Um, and then... Uh, Hair loss is a whole area in itself, um, but we know, again, that estrogen on one side of that seesaw, estrogen promotes hair, hair growth and um, your sort of wellness of your hair. And we know that um, testosterone, excess testosterone or relative excess of testosterone can cause um, hair loss by itself. So it's, it's sort of like a, a, you know, your worst case in, in both scenarios are not great because you, you're low, you've got low estrogen and you've got relative excesses of testosterone that promote um, hair loss. Um, there's also genetic factors. So, so in, in the female pattern hair loss, uh, people, so female ha pattern hair loss is really, really common. Um, so especially women post-menopause, um, it can happen pre-menopausal, um, but uh, it's really quite common, you know, above the age of 60, um, where you get thinning, usually starting around your sort of central parting. But we know that that is very um, testosterone dependent. So, so a lot of the treatments are to try and block those testosterone um, hormones to try and counteract that hair loss. Mm. It's really interesting because I'm very open that I started HRT six months ago and um, just the estrogen gel and the eutrogestin tablets. And one of the first things I noticed was um, slightly fuller eyelashes. I hadn't noticed I'd lost them, <laughs> but the hair growth came back. I was like, oh, that's quite a bonus. And I know a lot of women um, struggle with these kind of random hairs that appear on the chin almost overnight. And I'm assuming that's the estrogen, testosterone, seesaw you've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a challenge. And so in terms of in terms of that, Ben, if someone was coming to you with, with symptoms such as that, or even just dry skin symptoms, what are the, what are the steps that you would um, undertake just to see what's going on? I mean, obviously, if they're perimenopausal or menopausal, yeah. It, it's quite quick to tell, but I mean, are, are, there, are there certain things that you would advise a woman or look for? Yeah, so, so for dry skin, for example, there's so many different factors, um, you know, that, to look into, especially in, around the menopause. Um, the first thing to think about is, is what I talked about right at the beginning in terms of, right, uh, if you're estrogen deficient and you're not producing enough oil, um, then your skin is going to feel dry. If you are using things like too harsh a cleanser or using um, too much soap or things that are going to be drying out your skin. So soap with detergents is going to dry out your skin even more. Um, and the problem is that, you know, we do see uh, 
women who are developing things like acne and they think, oh, it's because I'm not washing or I'm, you know, and then they'll start using quite harsh ingredients on their skin and their skin gets even drier. Um, so, so the first thing I'll do is, is look at what, what they're using and what, what, the, what your sort of skin regime is. Because if you're using too harsh a cleansers or you're using acids and a lot of the treatments, I'm sure we'll go on this a bit later, but a lot of the treatments for conditions like acne are quite drying. So it's about trying to restore that skin barrier. Your your skin is like a brick wall, and uh, once it's you know once you what you're trying to trying to do is trying to re restore that um, the sort of cement in between the bricks just to get your skin barrier um, back. So it's about cutting out things that are drying it, and then getting the right moisturizer. So so in terms of the skin, there's lots of really good ingredients out there that can help rehydrate the skin. Um, so moisturizers with things like ceramide. Ceramides are good at restoring the sort of cement between the, between the skin cells. Um, shear butter is a nice glycerin. Um, and then there are other things like niacinamide. All these ingredients are quite nice and nourishing to the to the skin. Other ingredients like hyaluronic acid, that's, that's quite a trendy um, molecule at the moment. So hyaluronic acid is quite interesting, actually, because that's a natural... Estrogen has a direct effect on hyaluronic acid. Mm. So hyaluronic acid normally lives in your dermis, that deeper bit of your skin. And uh, it's a big molecule. It's a big sugar molecule that absorbs lots of water towards it. So in moisturizer, you don't actually absorb hyaluronic acid. It doesn't get through your skin. It just sits on top of the skin. But it's like a big sponge, and it just helps hold on to the water. So it's quite a nice um, moisturizer to use. So, But moisturizers are very personal to people. So, so you know, I often advise you know, several different ones so people can find the right one. And also, you want to find out what other skin problems or skin needs they have. Because obviously, if they're prone to acne or they've, you know, they're getting... Um, this sort of menopausal acne that you don't want anything too greasy to block up the pores and stuff. So it sort of depends on the on the patient, really. It's often at this time in life that actually women who haven't particularly looked after the skin or paid that much interest in it um, notice, notice the huge differences. And I'm amazed at how many women just, you know, they'll have a shower and use some soap and just regular soap on their skin and, and not having that understanding of the pH of the skin um, and that soap is it's too alkaline. Have I got that right? It's just too, yeah. And actually a lot of just regular soaps are just are too harsh. Even the kind of one of the ones that you might see as kind of quite simple or natural are actually quite harsh on the skin. That's what, uh, yeah, you're right. And, and I always explain it, for soaps, it's like washing up liquid. You use washing up liquid to take grease and stuff off your plates. So if you're using strong detergents, you'll take off all your sort of natural oils that are living on your skin. You'll just strip it right back. Um, and the other thing I, I would mention is this time of year when the weather is cold is that when the humidity outside is low, so when it's really, really cold, you lose humidity outside and your skin tries to naturally get a balance with the outside environment. So uh, we often see, you know, I, I see great changes throughout the year. So, so people who don't normally have dry skin might just get dry skin during the winter months when they're, when they're, they're just losing even more water. So the importance of, you know, skin barrier is really key. And that transition between a, a heated room or a heated house or home back into the cold weather can bring on that, that redness, can't it, as well? Yeah, and, and, the, and heaters at home, that dries out the air, so, so you get low humidity inside as well, uh, so, so people get more dry skin. It's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Because it's a bit like, you know, when Carol and I have talked about HRT preparations before, no one size fits all, and you have to change, and you swap, and you tweak, and you might have side effects, and... I guess it's very similar in terms of what you're advising women in terms of, you know, products, not not specific products, but kind of the ingredients within products is that you're going to have to give 
these things a good go and you may need to try a few before you settle on one or you may need to try a few different at different times of of the year for example like we've just spoken about in winter that can be quite difficult can't it for women to sort of get their head around particularly if you're you know you 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 use a particular regime or used a particular regime for a long time and changing and particularly at this time is is quite hard yeah i think it's really hard and i I think um it's also quite daunting when you go into shops and you just see rows and rows and rows of products um, and there's so much out there and you know with all you know beautifully labeled and beautiful branding and stuff and it's just oh that's got to be right and it's it's complicated and people I often see people with bags and bags of products um, and yet nothing's really actively treating what their skin goal or their skin concern is something that I've re- recently um, become more aware of is eczema often getting worse during the menopause. And is that is that also down to sort of a reduction in, in circulating levels of estrogen in the skin? Yeah, well, I, I think, um, you know, eczema is common anyway. Um, so so uh, especially during winter months and things, when you, you only have to look around at your friends and during the pandemic and stuff, you see you can induce eczema just by using alcohol gel and the weather being cold. Um, so so that's, uh, you know, eczema is common and people may be predisposed to eczema or have a genetic tendency, something called atopy. So they have a bit of a ha- asthma, a little bit of hay fever and stuff. And just that little tilt, that lack of estrogen um, can send them, you know, send them across that threshold to develop eczema. Mm. So we, do, we do see that. So yeah, I think it is a, a combination of factors, but, but definitely um, estrogen is key in that. And I wanted to bring up rosacea as well and redness. A lot of women begin to, you know, begin to notice this um, as well as the dry skin, acne, everything we've, we've mentioned already. And you know, for a lot of women, caffeine's a trigger, alcohol's a trigger. It's almost like a vasomotor symptom. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about, you know, what causes rosacea and that redness in the skin? Yeah, I mean, rosacea is fascinating because there's still a lot of research to understand really what is what causes it. Um, but we, we do know, as you said, about the blood vessels, that vasomotor, so the, it's the fluctuation of blood flow to the skin. So we know that um, the flushing and blushing, so this, the blood flow going back and forward from the skin causes a tre- uh, this cascade of inflammation. And obviously with the menopause, when people are get, getting hot flushes and when they've got a big um, flush of blood to the skin, that is the perfect trigger for a flare of rosacea. Um, on top of the fact that your skin might be dry and more sensitive, it sort of cascades a little bit out of, out of control. So in terms of, of causes, um, you know, estrogen deficiency is, is a big factor in, in uh, causing flares. We do know that other triggers are things that can affect blood flow to the skin. So alcohol, spicy foods, um, exercises, some types of exercise can, can, can flare up um, rosacea. Um, and then sunshine. So obviously, if you have too much um, sun damage on your skin, that will cause more blood vessels appearing. And then you... Then you um, uh, can have a flare-up of blood flow to the skin. So, so there are lots of triggers. It's always difficult because we always, you know, in terms of management, we always say, right, avoid triggers. But it's really hard to tell someone, right, avoid, avoid exercise, avoid spicy food, avoid that, because it's what we all do and we all need to do that. So it is getting that balance. 
Um, and, you know, exercise is so key for so many things in life. So telling someone not to exercise is, is not really that helpful. But we know it's a it's a potential trigger. And you mentioned ageing as well, you know, the ageing yeah. of skin. You know, women do lose their, you know, accelerated bone loss almost through um, postmenopause particular. But as the oestrogen eases off and that obviously can change your jawline and, and affect ageing. Is that is that something you see a lot of in clinics and in, in your in your yeah. work? I mean, I think aging is, is a massive thing for people. I mean, we're here sitting on Zoom and actually everyone in the the pandemic is staring at themselves on a screen. And I think uh, with social media, everyone is very much aware of their aging and fine lines and wrinkles. And, and aging is interesting because I see it as, you know, there's there's four main factors in why, why you age. So there's the obvious sort of chronological thing. So as you get older, you know, wear and tear, and there's not too much you can do about that. General lifestyle measures are obviously important. And then you've got all the environmental factors with the, the key one being sunshine, sun exposure. So, so we know that people who have outdoor jobs or, you know, work outdoors in, you know, hot climates or people who've had loads of sun or sunbeds, they will age, their skin ages more. So the ultraviolet light penetrates quite deep down. The ultraviolet A light penetrates really deep down into the skin and, and basically munches up all your collagen and elastin, all these scaffolding proteins, um, and have a, ha, has a big effect on, on your skin aging. So, so you've got the chronological things, you've got the environmental things, and then you've got genetic factors, um, which are interesting. We all know people who's, who look much younger than, than everyone else in there. And, and, and often their parents look at, uh, you know, youngest, there are genetic factors. And then there's the hormonal factors. So um, we touched on it at the beginning, but, you know, we do know in that first um, five years after menopause, you lose 30% of your collagen, which is an enormous amount. That is an absolute huge amount of, of collagen to lose. And then each year, a little bit more, a little bit, little bit more. Um, so, so those are the sort of factors. So in terms of managing it, you know, prevention is key. I always tell, you know, tell my patients that, you know, lifestyle measures, not smoking um, and protecting, properly protecting the sun from the sun is so key. And there's still this want to get a tan or this need to look a certain way um, by so many people that has such a huge effect on your skin long term. So, so sun protection is key. Um, and then in, in terms of, you know, counteracting um, uh, that estrogen deficiency, you can fight back. And there are ingredients, there are ingredients like tretinoin, retinoids that actually do have an effect on, you know, they help build collagen and they help inhibit the enzymes that break down collagen. And they can restore some of that collagen to help sort of fight back. So those are the sort of main approaches to, to aging. So many sunscreens out there, UVA, UVB. What, what are we looking for when we're looking for skin protection? Uh, so that's a really important thing. So, so people don't often fully understand what, what, what you're protecting for. So when you're buying a sunscreen, the SPF, um, it's all the sun protection factor, is only talking about your UVB protection. So UVB is obviously important because that's the the rays that cause the burning and stuff. So, so if you're um, uh, getting in like an SPF 15, that will give you 15 times more protection before burning. And that's um, uh, what you're looking for in terms of protecting yourself against UVB. We don't put on sunscreens very well. All the studies have shown that, that we humans just don't put it on anywhere near that requirement. So you know that if you normally burn in 10 minutes, you don't get 15 times that. You probably get three 
two, three, four times that rather than 15 times. So, so when you're looking for a sunscreen, we, we as dermatologists often advise at least factor 30, or between 30 and 50 to give you really good protection against UVB. Now, UVA has uh, got nothing to do with the SPF. So UVA, you have to turn the bottle over and look at, there's lots of different ways of measuring it. So what you want is you want good UVA protection. Some brands will have a star rating on the back and they'll give it a rating out of five, um, with five being really good, or at least four or five stars you want for, for UVA protection. Some will just have a UVA with a circle around it. Um, uh, another marker is something called PPD. But basically what you want is a broad spectrum that's covering against UVB and UVA. And actually also, just to throw into the mix of pigmentation, we haven't talked about pigmentation, but if, if you've got um, conditions where you've got pigmentation, such as melasma, then you, you want to think about having more physical sunscreens that will block against light as well. They're not the nicest ones to put on, but we do know that the pigmentation is not only caused by UVA and UVB, it's also visible light. So you need a physical block. That's a sort of, uh, in a nutshell, the sort of things you should be looking for. That's really, really helpful. And what another question I have around that is layering it, because a lot of women wear makeup. So sometimes, you know, you might get a tinted moisturizer or a foundation that's got some UV protection in it, but you almost, you sometimes have that in your moisturizer or a serum, you know, if you're using all these different products. Is it a case that some of them can cancel each other out? Is it better just to have UV protection in one of the products you're putting on your skin? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what your skin goal is. And I think if you're, if you're really worried about pigmentation, for example, then you've got to get the really good block on that. That is key. And, and we do know that the, having a built-in SPF is not as effective as having your SPF by itself, your sun protection. So, so um, it's really key to get it on. And even if you're not using, a, you know, sometimes if you're using it, you don't need to put a moisturizer on, you can spare that step, but get, get the sun protection on. That is the key. Because it will have more impact than anything else you're putting on. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's, that is what's really interesting is that the idea that we're probably not very good at doing this, are we? And you need so much more and you need the right stuff. So factor 30 for example as, as a standard really particularly if your skin is is drier and if your skin is is menopausal you're going to need i guess because your skin's more sensitive that much more protection yeah that's that's key that, that's it and, and actually there are some um really nice um sun creams out there they they they're, some of them are not too greasy and they do fluids and gels, which are not as un, um, unpleasant to put on. Um, but, but getting that protection on the skin has such a huge impact on aging and pigmentation and all these things. So if, if, you're, if you're trying to treat um, pigmentation problems, then you, without the sun protection, you're, you're, going to be, you're, you're going to lose that battle. So, so the sun protection is key. And it's something I've talked about before as well. It's about, um, you know, we, we talk about menopause being the second puberty, but actually a lot of this information needs to be given to women at that, that first stage, actually, you know, that that first puberty, because actually we want to be protecting our skin from quite a young age. So, you know, so for some of our listeners, they'll have young children or perhaps teenagers. And, and this is the time to really begin to think about educating them about your skin and, and protecting their skin again against the sun and, and UV light, isn't it? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I mean, protection, you know, part of a lot of my work is skin cancer related, and it's so important. That message, getting that message uh, earlier is, is, is key. Um, but it's so hard because in all the magazines you know everyone's got tans everyone's going on holiday and you know 
and it's really hard. Um, you know, people are posting that, you know, from glamorous locations around the world with tans and that's the sort of pressure that people feel to get a tan. Yeah, no, absolutely. Social media's got a lot to answer for. It certainly has. Mm. And so just thinking about other conditions, Ben, that you come across in clinic, perhaps, um, we've mentioned obviously generalised dry skin and the lack of oestrogen around the menopause. Are there other conditions that you see commonly that, are, that could be related to, to lower oestrogen? Or is, is, there, is there a theme when you, when you see menopausal women? I think hair loss is a, is a, is a huge area because it's such a complex area because there's not just one different condition. There's a number of different causes for hair loss. We've, we've touched on the sort of genetic types of, of, of hair loss, um, but also there are other types of hair loss for other conditions related to thyroid problems, um, to, related to states of being having low iron, mm. stress, all things. So um, we do see quite a lot of reasons for people's hair loss. Um, there are other more uh, scarring types of hair loss where people lose the often the frontal areas of their scalp which we see more in in, in menopausal women um so we, we do see a lot of conditions related to that um and then we see you know aggravation of, of other conditions we talked about you know but acne and rosacea eczema probably the, the commonest ones i see and something else actually is nails i wanted to mention as well you know because women a lot of women like to to have their nails done um and that can actually dry nails out. A lot of the kind of gels and, and products that we use on our nails and nail varnish remover obviously dries them out. Um, just any advice around that or anything you see that can help particularly? Yeah, I mean, I think again, it's it, it, the, your skin is being bombarded, your skin and nails are being bombarded with all these chemicals. And a lot of these chemicals are really quite harsh on the skin. Um, and uh, you know, these gel set nails as well, um, they're, when they're set with, with ultraviolet light and they, there's chemicals called acrylates, which can cause a lot of allergy stuff. So I, I do see um, a few people who end up with eczema around their nails, around their hands, related to allergy from nail varnish, actually, um, from, from the chemicals in, in the nail varnish. And actually, you can get eczema on your lips related to touching your lips or, or mouth from, from, the, from the nail varnish. And removing these things is quite harsh. So they, these chemicals strip back, strip back the, the, the nails. Removing cuticles, that's another thing I see a lot of problems with. So, so uh, the cuticles are there for a reason. They're not, they're, nature is a very clever beast and they're there to protect your nails. And so uh, people who, have, lots of people have manicures and they're desperately trying to strip back all, all the cuticles. But the cuticle has an, a, a, a role to protect your nail folds, so where your skin sticks onto your nail. That's what it's there for, to protect all these bacteria and fungi and all these things that are trying to um, get into the body and get um, underneath the skin. That's gone. And so then you get this chronic inflammation infection around the nail, so what we call paronychia. Um, so you get lots of swelling and inflammation and dryness and irritation all around the nails. And what that does is you end up getting an abnormal nail. So um, I'm looking at my fingers. If you see the white bit at the base of your nail, that's where you make your nail. So the white bit is called the lunula. Um, and that's where your nail matrix is. So that's where you make your nail. And that's where the cuticle sits on top of. So when you get inflammation around there, you're upsetting your nail matrix. So then you start getting all these ridges and funny looking nail because you've upset your nail matrix. 
So my tip would be to try not to traumatize it so much. Don't leave the cuticle alone if you can. Moisturize it, moisturize the skin around it um, and try not to use too many um, chemicals that are going to harm your nail or your skin around your nails. I'm quite obsessed with the aging of my hands. So I, I do wear gloves for all my washing up purposes. <laughs> As something, somebody, a trick that somebody told me ages ago was to, to rub some olive oil into my hand before I do the washing up under hot water. It's brilliant, actually. And it's still, I, don't, I haven't done it for a while, actually, but it's amazing because I've done the washing up in some hot water. Your, your hands just are just beautifully moisturised, actually. So it's quite an easy thing to do if you have to do a bit of washing up is to get some, some gloves and some oil. That's, that's really good. And I, and I think people underestimate estimate that how um harsh water is actually just immersing your hands in water is really damaging for your nails for your skin um so so when you're doing that trying you know wearing gloves to reduce the amount of, of exposure to, to water is really good and then moisturizing afterwards I, I think people get quite bored of moisturizing their hands but leaving you know leaving a, a tub of moisturizer good you know something with ceramides in it for example and then just after you've done it moisturize your hands and that will protect it and I, I take it that goes for, you know, when you have a shower or a bath, you know, if, yeah. if you are suffering with dry skin, it, it's to moisturise. And a lot of women, you know, again, that's a big hassle, that's extra time. But actually, if, if for women that are H on HRT, when you apply your, your gel, if you're using a gel or a patch, it's got to be to dry skin. But if you're doing a gel and you've got to let that dry, you've got that time to moisturise the rest of your body. Great. I think it's pretty interesting what you said about the alcohol gel generally, Ben, because I, I know a lot of us and probably you yourself as well are using a lot more alcohol gel and sanitizing and actually i've noticed that it's 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 so incredibly i mean we know it's we know it's drying but we're doing it so much more it's almost hard to replenish that moisture isn't it you know it's really difficult to try and get that moisturizer in but the, but a good, I, I like your tip, just have a tub of moisturiser everywhere you are and just, you know, even if it's just an emollient, something really simple that you can just moisturise with, that can really, that can really help. And that's good. Another tip for sore hands is, is especially people who get um, problems during the winter, especially when you're using your hand sanitizer and you've got really dry skin, is you can get some quite greasy moisturisers um, that they look a bit like lard, they're not very pleasant, but actually if you... Last thing at night, if you wash your hands with it, so, so you literally take a little bit, lather it up under the water, um, and then rinse it off your hands, put it all over your hands, then most of it will come off. You pat it dry and leave that as a film over your hands, and your hands will feel much, much softer the next day. Um, mm. That's a good tip for dealing with dryness and, and hands or dermatitis during winter months. And you can add gloves on top of that as well, which that doesn't help doesn't help the sex life necessarily. But um, <laughs> but some gloves on top, and uh, yeah, even more moisture. You never know; it might help. It might help. And, you know, gloves. Glove fetishes, maybe you know, who knows? Whatever, whatever works. We wanted to also talk a bit about your work with um, Skin and Me and, and what that involves, if possible. Fine, yes. So, so um, yeah, I've been working with a company called Skin and Me uh, for about three years now. Um, and, and why I got involved was was really to do with um, the availability of retinoids. And, and I'll just talk a little bit about retinoids first of all. So retinoids are amazing ingredients. Um, they do so much on the skin. They're a real powerhouse ingredient for um, dealing with anti-aging. Um, we've talked about, you know, they, they can help build collagen. They're, they can unblock pores. They're amazing for acne. They have all these benefits. But the, the main side effects is they're very drying and they're very irritating. And there's something called a, a, a retinoid dermatitis where people often get flaking and peeling 
uh, from using retinoids. And, and how we deal with that in, in normal um, uh, clinics is uh, we'll, we'll tell people to start using it really, really slowly, um, and you build up tolerance over time. Um, and what we've, what I started when I first got involved with Skin and Me, um, what I was intrigued about is the fact that what we could do is you could start people off um, on very, very low doses and build up their tolerance over time. So Skin and Me is basically a prescription. Um, well, actually, it's, it's, it's a, a business that d- delivers uh, medication to, to people's doors so they don't have to leave the house. Um, you have uh, an consultation online, um, which was very useful, obviously, during the pandemic. You can deal with your skin goals, whether it be anti-aging, whether it be acne, whether it be rosacea. Um, you fill out some questions, you upload um, your photographs, um, and then one of the um, dermatology team, which are often are pharmacists that have been trained up, will be able to prescribe things for you, for your needs, and then with the active ingredients can get built up each month. So instead of uh, starting straight on a retinoid that's going to flare up your skin or cause a big dermatitis, you can increase the strength each month to, each month to build up tolerance. Mm. Um, so that's really useful for people for you know anti-aging. Uh, we've already talked about the, how powerful tretinoin is in, in, in treating people with um, uh, collagen loss from aging. Um, but it's also useful for acne um, and rosacea. And there's lots of different powerhouse ingredients that we can use, like azelic acid is another really useful um, ingredient, um, niacinamide, clindamycin, um, and we also treat pigmentation there. So, so um, uh, I've been involved with them for about, uh, you know, just about three and a half years now, and it's, uh, it's really rewarding to basically allow, you know, the availability for um, expertise is the problem, really. Mm-hmm. Um, touched on earlier about it's so difficult to to get the right advice or the right medication um and so that's why i've been involved in that company no it sounds really interesting that kind of almost that kind of spoke prescription service but online making it a little bit more accessible and i, I imagine a little bit more affordable because you're not having to pay to see a, a, you know, a private clinician to begin with yeah exactly that yeah it, it is much more um affordable um but you know we've an amazing team of you know real experts um, uh, and work with lots of lots of other people to to you know get the right formulations and, and treat lots of different skin problems. Oh, it's brilliant. We talked about retinoids there, so it's am I right in thinking they're sort of vitamin A? Is that a kind of yeah? yeah. So so they're really um, powerful ingredients. So 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 the retinoid family is 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 a big family um, related to vitamin A. Um, and what's interesting about them is, is that many of them are over the counter. So, so retinols and retinaldehyde and all these uh, are, are like lower strength types of um, uh, tretinoin, essentially. Um, so the lower strengths have less reactions, but they're much less um, effective in terms of treating the anti-aging or treating acne. Um, but uh, so there's, there's a whole family. So some of them are over the counter, but tretinoin is not. It's a prescription drug, so you do need a, a prescription to get that. But it's more powerful. But it's that balance. Uh, it is a bit of a seesaw between not having too much side effects um, and getting the benefits. Um, but it's, it does lots of things. It exfoliates your skin. It builds collagen. It unblocks pores. So it does all these things. But it's just trying to get that balance of not not having too many side effects with it. Um, and you also mentioned, was it nicotamide? I, I can never say it. It's like a bit, is it sort of like a... 
vitamin B3 or... Yeah, exactly. So, so nicotinamide or uh, niacinamide, yeah. So, so there's another really nice ingredient, so um, anti-inflammatory, and we, we use that, I, I use that at Skin, skin and Me as well. Um, so, so these are all useful ingredients for anti-aging, also useful for acne. Um, so it's anti-inflammatory um, effects are really useful for inflammation in the skin. Um, so yeah, we, we, we use that a lot as well. And there's been a big trend as well for vitamin C products over the last few years as well. Can you maybe just tell us a little bit more about what vitamin C can offer offer for skin? Yeah, so vitamin C is is, is a nice um, product. It's a, it's an antioxidant, um, so so it helps with some of the uh, you know damaging um, radicals. They're called free radicals in the skin. So, so it helps a lot of the, the prevent a lot of the damage. The the key the, or the difficulty with vitamin C is its activity. Um, so, so it doesn't last very long getting the penetration right. Um, but there are lots of um, really nice vitamin C serums and stuff, and people, it helps people um, with, a, with a, you know, a lot of um, inflammation, and, um, uh, and it's also useful in anti-aging as well. So I think, Ben, if it's okay with you, I, I think, I mean, there's, there's lots that we could talk about, but I, I was wondering if we could focus just for a moment on your top tips for skin Okay. For menopausal women, what what would be sort of your maybe three or four top tips? Okay, so so if if I had to give my top tip, so I'd say the first thing I would say is prevention. So mm. prevention is the key. So so um, to to look after your skin before, if you can, ideally you know pre menopause, perimenopause, um, is to start getting your sun protection right. So get really really good sun protection looking after your skin in terms of uh, using delicate products. So don't use too harsh a cleanser, um, especially as you go into the menopause. Um, so, so make sure you've got a nice uh, moisturizer with some of those ingredients we've talked about. Um, uh, and then, uh, then start thinking about active. So if you've got something that needs treating, so if you're worried about your... Um, uh, fine lines and wrinkles if you're worried about acne then then have the right active ingredient so think about products like the retinoids i think retinoids are really important so if you're going to go for one treatment then go for the retinoids whether you go um for an over-the-counter one to see how you get on with or you go for a more prescription-based one um and that that's key in terms of acne or in terms of um skin aging uh those will be my top tips actually Avo- avoiding harsh chemicals mm. um, and that, that would be my main three top tips and it's interesting because you can get in retinoids in so many different products and often I've thought of as serum kind of you know building the scaffolding of the skin at the smaller molecules it potentially penetrates a little bit deeper but a moisturizer is more about protecting the surface of the skin am I, am I right in that and, and yeah. perhaps a retinoid in a serum is could be more beneficial Exactly that. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, your skin is constantly turning over. So, so the, the top layer of your skin is essentially dead skin cells and stuff. So, so there are um, uh, the the retinoids will actually help exfoliate that um, and get rid of a lot of that sort of dead skin on the top of it. Um, and then it does penetrate. It penetrates deep down into the skin and helps um, build the collagen and, and 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 stop that breakdown of collagen. So it does all the all the things we want it to do. And I think we, we, you know, as as women just shouldn't be afraid to ask for samples and for trying products. You know, if you're going into a store and you're trying something, you, you want to try something, it's no good trying it on your hand because that's not where it's actually going to be put necessarily. So, you know, asking for a sample or, you know, most 
counters these days have got samples of their products or sample pots they can can hand out and actually sometimes it's just about being a little bit braver and about asking isn't it yeah i think that's key and, and then i think i think uh, you know stripping down your regime to the actual key things because i think uh, a lot of people use loads and loads and loads of products and actually sometimes more is not better it's what's actually in them and, and when i uh, see my patients and they unload all these different things I think uh, you know I say well you know there's not much evidence behind that and actually when you look at the ingredients mm. there, there are a few and far between that they do a lot for your skin so actually just having a good cleanser a good moisturizer a good sun protection and an active if you need it yeah now women can spend thousands on products and uh, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that because I just love products but um actually that's 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 a slightly separate issue and actually it's, it's like you say it's just going back to basics and if you're not sure and you have very particular skin issues obviously checking out skin and me because actually that's more of a, a bespoke dermatology service thank you Ben thank you so much for joining us tonight and taking time out thank you for having me I'm sure we could we could carry on and discuss for hours, couldn't we? Just lots of different treatments and the finite uh, treatments for dermatology. But um, we, we are out of time. So it was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. And we hope to speak to you again soon. Definitely. Lovely to be here.